And let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. We've been in a series on the life of Jesus, who he is, what he's about. Today we're going to close out the series. And the message for today is, is this. I want to encourage you to follow him. It seems really simple, but I'm going to talk about that for the remainder of our time this morning, just to simply follow him. Jesus is the most talked about figure in all of human history. You're told at work you can't talk about, his, about him. Or you're, you're told you can even pray, but you can't use Jesus' name. And yet when you get done with work or you go on break, you go to the snack shop or the gift shop or you go stop at the grocery store on the way home and you look at the checkout stand, what do the magazines have on the cover? Pictures of Jesus. He's the most talked about figure in all of human history. People love him, people hate him, but you can't get away from him. People have different versions of him, different stories about him. There are different questions about his life, and yet you cannot get away from him. And you know what's amazing about this? 2,000 years later, you think the influence of his life would wane over time, and it doesn't. It actually picks up speed. He had no agent, no promotions team, no spin doctors around him, and yet his his words seem to be found in the words of national documents. His life seems to be the basis for the ethics of business. His moral code seems to be the code for laws in countries, and even his values are the values of our hearts. So it's no surprise that I would say to you today, trust him. Just trust him. Put your life in his hands. Trust him. And if you've never trusted Christ, it's as simple as that motion right there with your own heart. Lord, I'm yours. I trust Jesus to be my Savior. That's exactly, it's, it's, what, it's what the sinner cried for on the cross. Be merciful to me, a sinner. It's to, uh, Lord, save me. I am undone. I can't do this. I need your grace. And if you've never, ever really embraced Christ, I encourage you to do it right where you're seated. If you're not sure how to do it, after the service, the close, uh, Keith and Kathy will be off to the side. They'd be happy to pray with you and just give you a piece of literature about what it's about, even. But having trusted him, now it's our turn to go another step further, in fact, continuing steps further. For some people, they simply trust Christ and take a step into God's kingdom, and they stay there, just one step inside heaven. Some of us, I kid you not, I think are just like barely into heaven you ever seen a person jump on a train as the doors are shutting? Whoa, that was close. Some of you are wanting to do that as regard to heaven. Whoa, I just made it. Too much to risk, people. And once you're in, you might as well enjoy it by continuing to stay in step with him. That's my word, is to simply follow him all the days of your life. Because Jesus came, the scriptures say, Mark chapter 10, to serve and to save Mark chapter 10 says, For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. That's a payment. He came to save us from our sins. He serves the world. He acted as a servant, and then he gave his life as a ransom. When Jesus came to earth, he modeled the absolute perfect life. It was a life of total service. His sacrifice upon the cross then became the ransom price for our sin and so we are really purchased, literally, by his blood, the scripture says. And while we could never repay for our sins or pay for our own sins, we can at least follow him. And we can live out in a life of service, our gratitude towards him. So one of the questions, and I would encourage this with small groups, 
this week would be to ask each other, how is it that we are serving Christ right now, right this week? Or the, a great question for an accountability partner is, how am I serving Christ the Lord today? Okay? The psalmist said, you are to serve the Lord with gladness. Have you ever served someone but not been happy about it? Don't raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? Here you go. Instead of, here you go. It's all in the tone, isn't it? And since you're going to give it to them anyway, why not do it with gladness? That's really what the psalmist is saying. But serving saints, it's not enough simply to be a serving saint. What the Lord really wants is a relationship. We find those words in John chapter 15, Jesus' words himself, you are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 15, now I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. saying, I'm letting you know everything. There's total disclosure here. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, I'll, I'll give it to you. That'll only happen, though, if you do what I command, and then you know what's going to happen? He's saying, I'm no longer going to call you a servant. I'm going to call you a friend. World of difference, isn't there? A world of difference. If you're the kind of person that circles words or writes notes, write the word down, friend, or circle the word friends. I call you friends. And how do you know you're a friend? It's because you obey the commands of Jesus. You're saying, that's easy. I obey every command I know. It's because I only know like two. Yeah. Love your enemy and make your bed. I don't know what Jesus said. You just don't, really don't know what he said. So you just you claim ignorance. And he's saying, everything I've learned, I'm passing on to you. So you have at your disposal this incredible wealth of knowledge. And he says, now I want to call you friends. But that will only happen if you do what I command you to do. This means that we follow Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's pick it up at verse 21. To this you were called. And he, let me stop there and say the context of this passage is a, a context of suffering. People are in pain for doing the right thing. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever been in pain for doing the right thing? Yeah, so you kind of know what this is about. In an unjust situation, you ever been in pain for an unjust situation? That's what he's talking about. Have you ever suffered because of other people's wrongful things? You stay late at work because of their slothfulness. They hand you work late. So now you have to stay late to get your part of it done. That kind of injustice, that kind of suffering. To this you were called, he says. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Stop there. That's a verse worth memorizing. That you would follow in his steps. This could be our mantra the rest of our lives. I know we're up for suffering. I know the Lord's got that part of the agenda. Oftentimes when we pray, it's, Lord, get me out of this suffering situation, right? That's, that's okay to pray that. But maybe he's up to something bigger, something greater, that we would follow in his steps. And then he explains what it means to endure the suffering. Verse 22, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. So even in the midst of suffering, he did not mouth off. They hurled insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and, and overseer of your souls. 
you only know the greatness of who Jesus is and you really know him personally, intimately, closely, if you go through that kind of suffering. That will only happen if you continually, over the long haul, follow in his steps. And he set the example, following in his steps. He's actually given us the model. Today I'm going to give to you just five key pieces of what it means to follow Jesus. And then I'm going to recommend at the end of the message that you even take a day and make this a day with Jesus. A day where you practice the presence of Jesus. So, how do we follow Jesus? Number one, make the relationship with Jesus a priority. This is called worship, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your might. Mark chapter 12. The second is just like it, he says, when he's asked the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make this relationship an absolute priority. Following Jesus means that I love God. I read the stories of his life. I see how he responds to the loyalty calls. And I see how Jesus handles friendships, national issues, conflict, religious strife, with clarity and with grace. What I find interesting is sometimes Jesus surprises us. At the very time, I think, in this situation, I'm going to strike back this way. And I go, you know what? Jesus wouldn't do it that way. He'd go a different way. And sometimes, at the very time, I think I ought to back off. No, that's the time Jesus actually steps forward into the throttle of the situation. Have you ever, have you ever read the stories? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever read the stories of Jesus? I'll, I'll tell them what. Have you, ever, have you ever met a person, don't raise your hand, who's uh, said, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind, and you think to yourself, you don't have many pieces to give, dude. You need to hang on to all of the mind that you have. Don't raise your hand if you've met a person like that. Yeah. How many of you are sitting next to a person? No, no. just kidding. There are times when you're reading the stories of Jesus when you'd say, I'd fix that right now, and you'd blow it up, make it worse. And Jesus diffuses the problem. A woman caught in adultery, they're ready to kill her stone her, throw stones until she's bleeding and her bones are broken. And at the end of the day, what do they have? A, a dead woman. And by the way, how do you commit adultery by yourself? I, if you know how that happens, write me a note and send it to me. They seem to catch one, but not the other. I mean, I think that's fairly convenient. And just when Jesus could pull full throttle on be holy, what does he say to her? I forgive you, number one. Number two, go and sin no more. He backs away. And what does he do with Pharisees? Those religious people. He goes full throttle right at them. You, I think he calls them, you snakes, you white, you know, whitewashed sepulchers, which is a nice way of saying, you tombstones. This is a graveyard here. He goes right at the religious leaders. See, So you see, there are times it's surprising, isn't it? Just when you think you, oh, I know how I'd handle this. No, that's how Rambo would handle it. And that's how your computer game you know, guy would handle it in the war conflict. But the way Jesus would handle it might be totally differently. So the number one thing you have to do is make this relationship a priority, and that is called worship. Number two, love the way Jesus would love. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. So everyone will know you're my disciples. How? Not because of your doctrine, not because of your church attendance, not because of you know, the sticker on your car. Those are all nice things. They're all good things. But he's saying, how are they going to know you're my disciple? Because of your love for one another. 
They don't even really see your love for God. What they see is your love for one another. Sometimes we know the right answer to things. The right answer only gets us halfway there. But knowing the right answer, getting us halfway there, we think, oh, we're there. We're we're there. No, no. Now we've got to figure a way to implement this in such a way that Jesus would implement it. Jesus shows how to bring out the best in others by loving them to the truth. He calls us to turn the other cheek. When people do us wrong, he calls us to turn the other cheek. He challenges our lack of faith, and yet from our vantage point, you know, we would say, like, for instance, Peter, for instance. We, we love Peter. We think he's a great man of faith. Jesus was constantly at him for a lack of faith, and yet what do we find about Peter later in life? We find He really becomes a a rock-solid disciple, follower of Jesus. The point is this. Jesus calls us to love and to care for, and that kind of connecting is the kind of wisdom that we need to know how to even relate with each other. And that'll never happen until you pull in close and see the life of Jesus himself. And see the way he values life and ultimately what he does that speaks its own kind of sermon. Number three is to learn all you can about observing the life of Jesus. Just read through the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through the stories and observe. Make observations, write notes, jot notes, cross-check things. That is a growing exercise. He says, you take my yoke upon me, and he says, you will learn that I am gentle and humble, in heart, and then you're going to find rest for your souls. Matthew 11:29. What I find is, with most people who are critics of Jesus, when, and occasionally I find a real nasty critic of Jesus, and I'll say, "Have you read the original documents?" Usually not. And I say, "Well, here's what I'd recommend you do: don't take their word, those clowns' words, through who Jesus is." Get his words. Would you want me to judge you based upon what I hear other people say, or would you want me just to know you? Well, the the fair assessment is get to know me. Then you'll have a better opinion. And you know what? The only way you're going to follow Jesus really well is to get into his word, read particularly the four stories of Jesus, and know him for yourself. That's the relationship that Jesus wants you to have. Now, there'll be doubters for sure, And there'll be people who come who are inquisitive and questioning and unsure. And you know what? Jesus welcomes all of that. In fact, Jesus says, you come close to me and learn, and you'll find me to be gentle and humble of heart. You'll find absolute rest for your soul. In other words, you'll find it to be a safe place simply by knowing how Jesus would respond to your challenge in life. Isn't it funny? You you will not be honest with someone if you're not sure it's safe. You know that's about, true about yourself, right? You will hold up, you know, until you know it's safe. And as soon as you see signals that it's not safe, what do you do? You pull back in, right? Just like a turtle, you know? And that's the nature of people. And what Jesus does with his whole life is he is so transparent of what you see is what you get. When you make observations about Jesus, you know anytime he's going to challenge you, it's for your own good, and you know you're going to be a better person for it. So it's a safe place. And if growing in relationship is important, then that has to be the top priority. It just does. 
And it, <clears throat> you see, relationship in general has to be top priority. Again, don't raise your hand. You're talking to your spouse, a really close friend, and um, they're telling you, they're pouring out their heart. Maybe it's a really close friend or husband, wife, and they're pouring their heart out about something that really matters to them, and you're going, oh, I hope this is over soon because the show I really want, my favorite show is on like two minutes ago. Don't raise your hand. Okay. Your child has uh, finally decided to open up to you but you're overwhelmed by the tasks in front of you in the day. And so instead of allowing your child to open up, you scoot them through the conversation. You jet them through because you need to stay on task because your stuff is more important than the relationship. See what's happening? Your stuff is more important. The show is more important than the relationship. Your stuff's more important than the relationship. You mean to start your day with Jesus in the word? But you read instead stock quotes and that fills you with depression. And Then you read sports scores, which fills you full of anger. And So you go to the funny pages, read the comics to lift your spirit. But really Jesus says, you know, if the relationship were really central to your life, you'd start a piece of your day somewhere. And I know some of you are nighttime people, some of you only have a good four hours in the middle of the day and others of us are morning people but to give the Lord some time that he could just speak into your life if you're going to have a good relationship you need to have relationship time and you need to have quality time but you also need to have good quantity time I just want to talk to you about the end of the message no one can change those priorities for you but you a growing relationship requires time and quantity and quality are necessary. So learn all you can by observing Jesus and grow. Grow in your your grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter would say. Number four, put your good intentions into motion. That's called serving. The greatest among you be servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted, Matthew 23. You want a great relationship, then and greatness in life, then you have to serve one another and you can't miss out on the connection between greatness and, and serving. Jesus doesn't scold us and say, you should not desire to be great. No, he's just saying, the path to greatness is serving. Isn't that crazy? The path to greatness is serving. Greatness is found in humbly taking the towel and washing another's feet in Jesus' day. And greatness in God's economy today would be to take whatever that towel is and do the thing that nobody else wants to do. Jesus picked some of the most vulnerable moments in life to simply serve. I'm off text here for a moment, but during safe nights, we, have, we house people over the winter season who are homeless, and it always breaks our hearts, and, and we, we want to give them the best meals we can. But I'll look, and I'll see a guy who's going to clock in two hours late, who stayed the night, and he's going to do the breakfast routine. And at 7 in the morning, I'll see this guy who's a real uppy-up with a contractor in the district, and I'll see him folding up the plastic on a trash bin and pulling the you know, two bags out, and he'll, he'll have two bags of trash he's taken out. And I'll say, let me get that. And he'll go, no, no, this is my privilege. That's serving the Lord with gladness.
That happens around here all the time, I see it. And um, that kind of service is the pathway to greatness. And you know what? If no one sees that but Jesus, it's all that matters. But, But you know what? You're actually setting a pathway for other people who do see it. And that's the pathway to greatness. Service is rarely convenient. Sometimes it is really humbling. Sometimes it challenges other corners of our lives. Have you ever served the Lord with gladness? You started out with gladness, and you end up serving the Lord with haste? Don't raise your hand. This sermon's called Don't Raise Your Hand, by the way. (laughs) Have you ever served the Lord with gladness, and then at the end of the day, you're just impatient with it? Like, dang, I'm glad this is done. You ever serve the Lord with gladness, and by the time you're done, you're like, okay, I gotta take over this place, and it needs, because you have this drive to control things, or your pride gets in the way, and you're, you're, you can't fake it anymore, this joy of the Lord, because the Lord has stripped that stuff away, because stuff is in so much chaos. And sometimes what happens is, Jesus places us in those serving capacities to peel away all the junk in our own lives, that nothing else would ever do, no Bible study, no no prayer service would ever do that, but serving does it. So let me encourage you, put your good intentions into motion by serving. And then finally, communicate from the heart. And communicate from the heart, communicate with the heart, communicate out of the heart, because that's where the issues of life really are. This is called sharing. For it's out of the mouth that our heart really speaks the good stuff comes out, and when it comes out, evil will come out because why? Because evil is stored up. And you'll give an account for those words, those empty, spoken words. You know, communication is such a tricky thing, isn't it? Because there's so many dimensions to it. There's the eye contact, there's hands, there's there's body language, there's the wording, there's word choice, There's there's... Full sentences, incomplete sentences, or just words, commands. It just, you know, I, I've seen communication just go crazy. This morning, I was meeting with some guys, and we were talking, and I was, <clears throat> before I speak, I like, to, I like to speak before I get on stage to speak, and I went, <clears throat> and they went, they stopped. I have nothing to say, I was just clearing my voice. Oh, yeah, just the, because I communicated to them, like, attention, like, Okay, I'm ready to speak now. And really what I meant to communicate was I need to clear my throat, get ready to speak. See, Isn't it funny how communication can be such a tricky thing? And to speak from the heart, see, if you want to get this right, the only one who will fully understand is the Lord. The Bible tells us in Romans, actually, that he takes our prayers, even the prayers we don't even understand, we can't utter them well, and he, he disentangles them and corrects them even. Have you ever gone into prayer and you start to pray and you say, Lord, here's the problem and um, we need really a lot of help. And if I were you, and then you start to instruct the Lord, don't raise your hand. If I were you, and then you start to, and then you start to worry about, because if this doesn't get fixed, Lord, this and this is going to happen and that and that's going to happen. And all of a sudden you, you've gotten yourself in a dither we're not even sure what that word means, but you've gotten yourself whipped up into a dither over something and you're worried or stressed and you're supposed to be unloading it. And you know what? Finally, when you get done, you just go, Lord, it's, it's overwhelming. I can't do this. You know what? That's exactly where the Lord wants you to be. 
is in that spot where you finally admit, Lord, this is yours. I can't do this. And in his grace, he takes over because we're communicating now from a heart level and that's where our thoughts disentangle themselves when we get quality time with God. Now we're ready to be with people. So we communicate from the heart. And then you know what happens? Then that changes, go back to the text again of Matthew 12, that changes what comes out of our mouths because we have a different perspective because we've prayed it through. And you have a different, you have kind of a global perspective of this or a heavenly one. Because ultimately, we just want a life that honors the Lord. I, I have a few verses I just want to pop to you. These are all worth memorizing. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, it doesn't matter, whatever you do, Paul writes, do it to the glory of God. Glory of God, that's really key. I live to honor God with my life, okay? That's the, that's the goal, that's the end of it. Um, 3 John, verse 6. They have told you about the church and about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that, again, honors God. That's what you want. You want a life that honors God, even, the, even in the smallest detail. So you show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. And in your version, may say, honor the king. In our day, it was be honor the president. You're saying, okay, my ultimate goal here is I need to just fear God. Got to walk with him in such a way that I honor him no matter what happens. So let me give you the last few minutes. Let me just talk to you about what I want you to do. Here's a project. It's to spend a day with Jesus. And the way you're going to do this is this. To know what the day with Jesus would be like is you need to pour through the four stories of, of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read, you can read six or eight chapters a day. The idea is not to study one small passage, but rather just to fly through the life and, and so every couple of days, you're moving to another book. So you could read through the Gospels or listen on an audio or tape or, or whatever it is you have. Uh, get it in an audio form. You could be listening while you're driving in the car and just let this thing just kind of soak, kind of marinate on you for a bit. When you get the four stories down, you'll start thinking differently. You'll start thinking about Jesus in this situation and Jesus in that and then how that runs parallel to my situation. Do you understand what's happening here? And once you go through the Gospels a couple of times, three times, you're starting to think like what the old hymn would say, may the mind of Christ my Savior flow through me from day to day. So that's the start of it. And then when that happens, then maybe three times a week, just journal that. Just journal. Here are the observations that I'm seeing. Here's the relationship that I'm seeing. Here's how it, I'm seeing it in my life. And then you're going to pick a day where you just target it. I called it target. You just pick a day, but you don't want to pick a special day, but you want just an ordinary day where you get up in the morning, you, you do your normal routine, you shave or shower, do whatever it is you do, and you exercise, you read, but you're doing it all with this awareness of Jesus' presence. That you, when you meet people, you, you meet with people at work, you know Jesus is right here. So that affects the conversation, see? When you go to work, when you travel, whatever it is that you're doing, you're enjoying meals, leisure time, exercise time, you're doing that with Jesus alongside. You're watching TV or on the media. You're playing a computer game. Jesus is right here. You're saying, do I need to take him to Friday night poker? Yes, you do, because you cheat and you know it. <laughs> so you need to take him to Friday night. Friday is your day with Jesus, okay? You, the idea of this is this. I want to practice the presence of him 
so that when I'm shopping, it's, it's as if Jesus is here. Whether I'm driving, doing chores, it doesn't matter. Family time. And, and one, one songwriter a generation ago put it this way. Beautifully po- poetic piece. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me, I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Why? Because he, just, he walks with me. He talks with me. I'm following him. So if Jesus were in my office complex, what would he be interested in in this conversation? Where would he be interested in? Where would he, you say, you know what? This is not, Jesus has no business in this. I'm going to leave too. Jesus is leaving this conversation. I need to leave too. That would solve a lot of the fruitless conversations, wouldn't it? And then you ask yourself as you sit down to write an email, would Jesus write this email? Would Jesus post this on Twitter? Would Jesus react the way I'm reacting? Is this funny or is this just downright mean? Should I post that on Facebook or whatever it is that you're on? Is that okay or is that dishonoring somehow to a God's creation? Or is that somehow hurtful, harmful? Because I remember Jesus is right over my shoulder as I go to post. At the dinner table and at home, Jesus is eating with us. I love what little kids will oftentimes say. They know when company's coming. Why? Because mommy and daddy put out the cloth napkins. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? At our house, we put out nice stuff and paper napkins most of the time. And when grandma and grandpa come or someone else, Christmas, nice, we put out the cloth. So I know when you come to my house, you're expecting cloth, but you're not going to get it. So just give that up right now. You'll be getting paper towel. We'll just wrap it around. That's what I do. Save my shirt. But you know it's special. How about what, what would happen? What would happen if you went to the dinner table and knew that Jesus was at the end of that table? How would that change the way you treated each other around the dinner table? Or how would that change the conversation? That's kind of what we're looking for here. Spend a day getting to know Jesus and following him. Why? Because this is what you're called to do. Jesus suffered for you. Verse 21, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Therefore, you and I, we know what we can do. We know how to do this. This book tells us you know enough right now to begin to practice his presence every day of your life. So my word to you is, don't just trust him. Follow him, follow him. Let's bow for prayer and let's stand as we pray. And would you make that your own prayer? Lord, may I follow you all the days of my life and practice the presence of who you are. May I live with a sense of awareness that you are here. You are with me. You know what, folks? You don't have to work hard on holiness. You don't have to work. It's not going to be a moral code for you. Do you know what it'll be? It'll be a relationship with Jesus. You're saying, well, I can't overcome some stuff. You know what? Just have more of a sense of awareness of Jesus. And you talk to him about that and talk to him about your struggle, but then know that he is with you. He'll give you the strength 
and make an overcomer. Just the issue is I just need to follow and walk in his steps. Oh God, may that be our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. The church says amen.